Inside your bulletin is a call to worship coming from Psalm 57, a portion of that psalm. Again, it is a psalm in which the mercy of God is set before us. It was Mr. Plumer in his commentary that says, anyone who knows something of the mercy of God, it is impossible, he says, for them not to give him praise. If you've known the mercy of God, you will want to praise him. We'll call one another to worship with the singing of this portion of the psalm. We'll sing it to the tune of Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness, which, if you want the music, is on page 439 of the Trinity Hymn Book. But let us stand together and call one another to worship.
Dear Lord God, Heavenly Father, gracious and full of mercy, be with us to show us truths from your word. Give us confidence to approach your throne of grace. Help us with more patience and empathy with our walk with you to the celestial city. Be with those of us who can't be here due to unavoidable circumstances and draw them close to you. Thank you for all your goodness to your pilgrim church and help us to be grateful for all you give us. Your blessings are incalculable and sometimes overwhelming. We long for the day when faith will be sight. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it is in the name of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It is hard to speak of the mercy and grace of God without thinking of that very familiar hymn of John Newton's. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. In the Trinity hymn book, it's 402. 402.
your copies of God's Word to Matthew chapter 19. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and who shall marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which are made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Then there were brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Then his disciple, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that which that ye have which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, 
or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In this chapter we have verses 1 through 2, whereas Jesus enters into Judea. Then verses 3 through 12, the Pharisees question about divorce. And then verse 15, 13 through 15, young children are brought to Jesus. And verse 16 through 22, the rich young man's question. And verses 23 through 30, the reward for Christ's followers. I have a quotation here from John Murray. It is the one exception that gives prominence to the illegitimacy of every other reason. Preoccupation with the one exception should never be permitted to obscure the force of the negation of all others. That was his commentary on Matthew 5:32 and 19, verse 9. So this chapter could be summed up in um, verse 26b, which says, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This morning as we go to prayer, we especially want to pray for the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. Let's seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we approach you this morning, we do so with grateful hearts, hearts that we trust are filled with praise because of our great God because of your kindness, your goodness, your mercy, and your grace that many of us have experienced in this place. Father, we were those who were dead in our trespasses and sin. We deserve to know of your wrath, but how thankful we are that your wrath will pass over us, not because of any good found within us, for even our righteousness is as filthy rags in your sight. But, Father, the wrath of God will be passed over us because of the work of your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, Father, as those who have experienced your grace in bringing us to life, opening our blind eyes, breaking our stony hearts, how we pray that our praise would be acceptable in your sight even this day. And how we pray that those who may be among us, who know you not, who know nothing about the reality of being reconciled to God, that even this day you would cause them to turn away from their sins and grant unto them faith in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might have life and have it abundantly. So, Father, meet with us, we pray to that end. And then, Father, as we heard your word open to us and read to us this morning, how we pray that we would be obedient children of that word. And we think especially of our homes. And how we pray that you would help us in our homes to magnify our great God. Help us as men who are husbands to love our wives and care for our children. Help those who are wives find it their delight to be submissive to their husbands. And have an atmosphere of the home that is well-pleasing in your sight. Father, we pray that our marriages would reflect our Lord in all things. Father, we would pray that you would be with those who we have fellowship with in the gospel, even this morning. As we think of the brethren there in Verona, Virginia, 
We pray, Father, for their elders, that you will continue to give them help as they seek to shepherd the people of God there in that place. How we give you thanks that there's a plurality of elders there. And not only that, but there are other men who are aspiring for the eldership, who are being trained. And, Father, how we pray your blessing upon that effort. We thank you, Father, for the number of visitors that they've seen in recent weeks and for those who desire to commit themselves to that assembly. Father, we rejoice with them and pray that we might in the near future hear of your adding to that assembly. But Father, we're thankful for them and pray that you would bless and use them for the good of your kingdom there in that area of Virginia. Father, we would pray as well for our nation this morning, how we would acknowledge our sin And how we would cry out to you to have mercy upon us, for we deserve your wrath. Father, we pray that you would bring us leaders who would lead us in the way of godliness and holiness. Give us men and women who lead our civil government, who have a fear of God and not a fear of men. How we pray for civil leaders who will consider others more important than themselves. So, Father, we pray that you would have pity upon us as a nation. Revive us. May you turn us from our sin and bring many and awaken many to know you. Father, again, we we commit our time to you and ask that you would meet with us in your spirit. Do not leave us alone. But, Father, come and have dealings with us and receive all the praise and the glory as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your hymns of grace, hymns of grace, and turn to 397, I think it's a familiar tune, I plead the grace, 397. Let's stand together as we sing.
Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. You might recall that back in chapter 9, Moses has rehearsed for the children of Israel who are about to enter into the promised land the behavior of their forefathers after they had been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. It seems as though they had a deluded view or a delusional view of themselves. They, They thought that they were going to go into the promised land because of their own righteousness, because of the good things that they had done. But Moses points out that these forefathers of the children of Israel were viewed by God in a completely different light. Raymond Brown says there are seven characteristics that are hardly the marks of a righteous community. Those characteristics that we have set before us in chapter 9 are they are arrogant, they are stubborn, they're rebellious, they're provocative, they're corrupt, idolatrous, sinful, evil, unbelieving, disobedient, and wicked. That's who they were. And yet they thought that they were going to take the land because of their own righteousness. But God viewed them differently. God even says concerning them that He was angry at them. He was angry enough that He would want to destroy them because of their sin. Look back to chapter 9. Look at verse 18. And I fell down, this is Moses, before the Lord as at the first forty days and forty nights. And neither I ate bread nor drank water because of all your sins which you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and the hot displeasure which the Lord was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. I mean, what was it that kept God from destroying this rebellious, idolatrous, immoral group of people who He was leading to the promised land? What would stop Him from destroying them? The answer to that is it's clear that, that God has provided for them a mediator to intercede for them. And such a mediator was given and provided not on the basis of what they deserved, but that mediator was provided totally because of the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. Mercy. Mercy is compassion. It is kindness shown to someone whom it is in one's power to punish or destroy them. Mercy is an act meant to relieve someone of their punishment 
It is withholding punishment that is justly deserved. That's mercy. Martin Luther says, God is pleased to show mercy to his enemies according to his own sovereign pleasure. And though he is infinitely above all and stands in no need of creatures, yet he graciously pleased, he is graciously pleased to take a merciful notice of poor worms in the dust. God is graciously pleased to take mercy upon poor worms in the dust. And when we come to chapter 10, we move from the anger of God who expresses a desire to destroy these people to a merciful God who spares them out of His own sovereign good pleasure. So follow as I read the first nine verses of Deuteronomy chapter 10. At that time the Lord said to me, Cut out for yourselves two tablets of stone like the former ones, and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood for yourself. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you scattered, shattered, and that you should put them in the ark. So I made an ark of Acadia wood and cut out two tablets of stone like the former ones and went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets like the former writing the Ten Commandments which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain, and I put the tablets on the ark in the ark which I had made, and there they are as the Lord commanded me. Now the sons of Israel set out from Beroth ben Jakakin to Moserah, and there Aaron died, and there he was buried, and Eleazar his son ministered as priest in his place. And from there they set for Gugoda, and from Gugoda to Jokbatha, the land of brooks of water. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to serve Him, and to bless His name until this day. Therefore, Levi does not have a portion or an inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is His inheritance, just as the Lord your God spoke to him." As we make our way through these nine verses, we will see the mercy of God shown to a people who rightly deserved God's judgment, His punishment, and His wrath. 
In chapter 9, again, we're confronted with His anger, His judgment because of sin. And that calls upon each one of us to take sin very seriously and to watch over our own hearts. Regardless of how much knowledge and regardless of what you've experienced, guard your hearts above everything else. But here in chapter 10, we marvel at God's amazing mercy shown to a people. We are humbled. And we ought to praise Him for that mercy. And so this morning I want you to notice with me four ways in which God's mercy is displayed in our passage. First of all, God's mercy is displayed in restoration. In restoration. We remember that these words, this instruction by God, came to the children of Israel in a, in a very unique way. They were given to them from both the mouth and the finger of God. They did not come through a prophet, but they were given to the children of Israel directly from God. I mean, God wrote these things out. God spoke these things. Often, revelation from God would come through a prophet. Not this time. God spoke and God wrote. He spoke and He wrote. And they had a possession. It was in their hand. And what happened? Moses comes down from the mountain. He sees a golden calf. He becomes angry. And he throws the stone down. And they shatter. They shatter. How could he do that to these tablets? How could he do that to something that God wrote with his own fingers? And what would be the result of all this? It would not be surprising if God says to Moses, Whoa, pick up the pieces. See if you can glue them together. Or, or it wouldn't be surprising if God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to take a piece of paper. And as you can best recall, I want you to write down these instructions for everyone to read and hear. I mean, you had the originals. These weren't copies. And, and now they're, they're shattered. I mean, to have those, how would we ever get them back? How do you ever replace the originals? Or should God replace the originals? 
Can you imagine if, if, if you had the original copy of the Declaration of Independence, and that was in your hand, how would you treat it? Would you, would you take it and fold over the corner? I, I want to keep a, remember where this spot was, so I'm going to fold, no, no. You, you, would, you would treasure it. You would be careful with it. Moses had the original. And now they're shattered. A friend of mine gave the illustration of, uh, imagine, imagine you send your son off to college. If you, you can send your daughter off. Either one, I don't care. But imagine you send your, your, your son off to college, and before he goes, he walks out, and in the driveway, there's a brand new 2022 car of his dreams. And he gets in it and he drives off. And a couple weeks later, you get a phone call from your son. Um, Dad, I, I've got some bad news. I was driving along a curvy road and I missed a curve. I ended up in a ditch, flipping the car three times completely destroying the car. Now, being a good dad, you might say, well, are you okay? And, well, yeah, dad, I'm fine. What happened? Well, dad, I got together with a group of guys. We did a little drinking. And I was intoxicated. And I wrecked the car and I totaled it. What do you think dad would replace that car with? I got a feeling he'll be driving a 1998 Gremlin. Remember the Gremlins? <laughs> or, or the Pintos? Remember those things? All right. What would you think if dad says, okay, son? I'll get you another 2002 car of your dreams. 2022 car of your dreams. Wow. I don't deserve that. I, I don't deserve that. I, I'll take the Pinto. I'll take the Pacer. Remember those? <laughs> this is what God does. God says, I'll write them again. Cut out two tablets of stone. Make an ark. And it says that God again wrote out the things that were on the original tablets. Verse 4, He wrote on the tablets like the former writings the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire on that day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. God displays His mercy in giving not only a mediator, 
but in giving them his revelation once again, written with his own finger. I mean, God says, not only will I not destroy you, I'll, I'll restore you. I will bring you back. I, I will give you a, another original written with my own finger. And that's been the story of many of us. Many of us in our disobedience, in our rebellion to the things of God, God has not destroyed us, but He's had mercy upon us. And by His mercy, we're here today, restored, I pray, and renewed in the joy of our salvation when we should have been destroyed by Almighty God. So God's mercy is displayed in restoration. Secondly, God's mercy is displayed in continuation. In continuation. Look at verses 6 and 7. Now the sons of Israel set out from Beeroth, ben Jakakin to Moserah, and there Aaron died, and there he was buried, and Eleazar his son ministered as a priest in his place. Now, what's so important about that? I mean, most of these cities are not located today. Where, where exactly they are, we do not know. And, and other than being cities that have difficult pronunciations, what do we take away from that? What do we... And when you consider these words with what we read back in chapter 9, look at chapter 9 and verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, to Moses, Arise, go down from here quickly, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them, and they have made a molten image for themselves. And the Lord spoke further to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I might destroy them and blot out their names from under heaven. I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. God says to Moses, let me at these rebellious people. But when we read here in chapter 10 and verse 6 and 7, the, the wonderful thing is their journey continued. They leave the mountain and they make their way towards these other cities. They go towards Gugata, Marcia, The journey continues on. You realize that these people were very close 
to experiencing the dagger of divine justice. They're about ready to have that dagger of justice thrust into them. And, and because of their rebellion, that their journey should have come to an end. God says, let me alone to destroy them. And Moses cries out to God on their behalf. And if that never happened, they would have never seen Moserah. They would have never passed on to Gogoda. They would have never made it to those cities. But we're told that they traveled to these places. And the only reason they arrived in these cities is because God did not destroy them. That's what they deserved. But God showed mercy because one interceded on their behalf. There's the mercy of God. And have we not experienced the same thing? Have there not been occasions in which we've rebelled against the direct will of God in one way or another? And our mercy, or our our, our journey should have come to an end. And sometimes that happens. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lied. They lied. God struck them dead. How many of us have done things that in human terms we would think is far worse than what Ananias and Sapphira did? And wonders of wonders, God did not strike us down. But by His mercy, He restored us. And we continue on. We continue on. The fact that we're going on is a display of God's mercy. Or as John Newton's put it, it's by grace that I've come this far. It's only by God's grace that I'll be led home. It's His mercy. Because many of us would have to confess, oh my sin, oh my sin, that deserves His wrath and judgment and anger, and yet He had pity and showed mercy. So I continue. And there's things in our lives that if broadcast would bring shame, 
and embarrassment. That God did not strike us down. He showed us mercy. So we continue on. As we see here with the children of Israel. So God's mercy is displayed in restoration, in continuation. And then thirdly, God's mercy is displayed in reconciliation. Reconciliation. Again, read verse 6. Now the sons of Israel set out from Beeroth ben Jakakin to Moserah, and there Aaron died, and there he was buried. And Eleazar, his son, ministered as a priest in his place. Now again, that's quite a statement when you go back to chapter 9 and verse 20. Chapter 9 and verse 20. The Lord was anger, angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. And so I prayed for Aaron at that time, at that same time. Here's Aaron. And he's made it to Mosera. Aaron should have died back in Hebron. He should have died beside the golden calf. That's what justice would have called for. Aaron, you, you've been a, a mouthpiece of God. You've been used of God. And yet Aaron built a golden calf. Justice would have called for Aaron to die. I mean, if God would have killed him, right, then if we would have read, Moses came down off the mountain, saw the golden calf, looked at Aaron, what are you doing? And Aaron was struck by lightning. Who would blame God? God says, have no other gods before me. And now Aaron built a calf. And yet Aaron goes on. To Moserah. How come? God's mercy. God's mercy. There was reconciliation that took place as Moses intercedes for Aaron and as Moses prays for Aaron, God has pity upon him. In Leviticus chapter 10, we have the account of Nabad and Abihu, Aaron's son. And we're told that they offered strange fire before the Lord. They offered strange fire before the Lord. And you know what happened to them? The fire consumed them. It consumed them. How come Aaron moves on? Aaron made a golden calf, and yet he did not die. Moses pleads for him, and Aaron lives. This is a display of God's mercy. Aaron continued on to serve 
and his son Eleazar with him. Why? God's mercy. God's mercy. Now, let me say, that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to your sin. And for some men, because of their sin, they have severe consequences that may take them out of the ministry for a time or altogether because of their sin. But God is still a God of mercy. He's still a God of mercy. Isn't this our story? Aaron was a child of wrath, just like we are. And that wrath will pass over him and will not consume him because of God's mercy, because of a mediator that God has provided. It isn't that us. We, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment, His anger against us. But that anger and wrath will pass over us because of His mercy. He provides for us a mediator in the Lord Jesus Christ. One who drank that wrath every last drop on behalf of His people. The mercy of God. The mercy of God. So we see the mercy of God displayed in reconciliation And then finally, we see the mercy of God displayed in affection. In affection. Look at verses 8 and 9. And at that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to serve Him and bless His name until this day. Therefore, the Levite does not have a portion of it or an inheritance with his brothers, for the, the Lord is his inheritance just as the Lord your God spoke to him. Remember, the the lid of the ark was the mercy seat. The lid of the ark was the mercy seat on which the blood was spilt. And and under the lid was, was the law, the Ten Commandments, there in the ark. We see God's justice, His holiness, and His mercy all come together there in the ark. The ark would represent, this is how I see it, the ark represents the very presence of God. The very presence of God. And here we're told in these verses that they were to appoint a tribe who would then carry that presence with them wherever they went. God is saying to these people, these rebellious, idolatrous, immoral people, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. You know, it's one thing if we said, okay, he he gave them the Ten Commandments again. It's one thing to say, He allows us to continue on our journey and not to destroy us. But why would He want to be with us? Okay, you gave us your revelation. Okay, you didn't destroy. We're we're continuing on. But then we hear, and I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. 
I love you. Again, God's mercy is displayed. In working through this, I I was reading in my own devotions, Zechariah chapter 1. And it struck me what we read there in chapter 1. I think it's verse 3. It says there, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, says to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts. And you're like, okay, you know, what's he going to say? I've had it with you. I'm going to cast you off. I'm done. (laughs) And who would blame him? But that's not what it says. It says here, the Lord was very angry with your fathers, and therefore he said, said to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me declares the Lord, that I may return to you. I'm amazed. Really? You would do that? If we return to you, you want to return to us? Does that strike you as amazing? He provides the Levites to be their intercessors. They would go to God on their people's behalf. They would offer continual sacrifices, first for their own sin and and, and then for the sins of the people. See, they needed someone. They needed someone who's able to approach God on their behalf. And God provides that so they might have a relationship with one another, that they might grow in their love for each other. God provided that in His mercy. And so He has done for us. God loves us. Zechariah chapter 2, God refers to His people this way, as the apple of His eye. I did a little look and, and to see. And, and there are some believe the translation should be uh, that he, he looks upon his people. And, and, and when you, you, you go after them and, and you bother them, it's like poking me in the eye. Uh, you can look that up yourselves and so forth. But it, it's a way in God, which God expresses his love and his affection for his people. People who weren't perfect a people who engage in acts of rebellion and immorality and idolatry. But He sets His love upon them. And He keeps them. And He provides a way in which they can maintain fellowship and communion with one another. What a contrast. From chapter 9 to chapter 10. The judgment, anger, and the wrath of God rightly deserved, but a God who shows mercy to the undeserving. What do you say to these things? How do we respond? Well, I, I trust our response may be many. I trust one of our re- 
is praise. As, as we started out, and as Mr. Plumer mentioned, those who know something of the mercy of God, it is impossible for them not to praise. If I got what I deserved, I am of all men most miserable. If I got what I deserve, I have no hope. But God in His mercy, God who is rich in mercy, comes to a dead man and brings him life. Not because He deserved it. And so I trust our hearts are filled with praise for that God. Secondly, I trust you have a heart of gratitude. Gratitude. Give Him thanks. For so great a salvation that He's provided us in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, I trust that in hearing these things, it would cause each one of us to ask the question, do I know of God's mercy in my own life? Have I experienced God's mercy? You see, some of you who sit here, or, or some who may be listening to this, you, you may have the idea that, that somehow you're going to make it to heaven, and you're going to be before God because of your own righteousness, just like the children. It's because of our righteousness that we're going to the promised land. And Moses says, wait a minute, my friend. Stop and consider how God really looks upon you. you you're a rebellious, idolatrous group of people. You're stubborn. And I, I can destroy you and be just in doing so. Because your righteousness, those good things that you think are going to get you into heaven, aren't going to work. Because your righteousness is filthy rags in my sight. But he says, I have pity upon you, and I will show you mercy in providing one who will take the wrath that you deserve so that you can be reconciled to God. Do you know something of that? Is there anyone here who thinks... I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven because I deserve to go. You're going to be disappointed, my friend. Because that won't work. It's only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then a fourth thing. I trust that as we read and hear of God's mercy, that we'd be a merciful people. That we would show mercy. That we'd be ready to forgive. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Are we quick to show mercy to others? Did you, you ever think to yourself... I'm not going to be kind to them. They don't deserve it. You ever, anybody speak that way? 
I'm not going to forgive them. They don't deserve my forgiveness. <laughs> wow. I'm glad you're not God. <laughs> we ought to be a kind and forgiving people. Because our God has been merciful to us. And, 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 and i got a feeling the offense towards you is far less than our offense towards God. And so our lives should be marked by mercy and forgiveness. In fact, if it's not, then the question is, have you ever received mercy from God? And so we bless God. I'm glad we didn't end with chapter 9. I'm sort of glad. I mean, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to meet my father. But I'm glad he gave me one more week at least. And I'm glad I didn't just end with chapter 9, you bunch of rebels deserving God's wrath. Shame on you. He ought to destroy you. <laughs> but I got to preach chapter 10. God's a God of mercy. He's a God of mercy. So maybe even today you're, you're battling with some sin and, and you failed this week and you know you haven't done right and you're thinking, oh, He's going to cast me off. He's going to destroy me. And now, my friend, if you go to Him confessing that sin, He'll show you mercy. He's rich. He's abundant in mercy. I think sometimes, even as Reformed Baptists, we like to think of him being abundant in wrath. Now, God's wrath is real. Listen, don't take it lightly. God's wrath is real. But he's a God abundant in mercy and grace. And he forgives. How thankful we ought to be. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your mercy. We're humbled. We, we, any man who's honest with his own heart knows something about what he truly deserves. And yet you have not dealt with us according to our sins. But you've had mercy upon us and we thank you for that. We marvel at that mercy. We wonder why you haven't destroyed us long ago and yet you continue to show us mercy. And Father, we know that Your mercy displayed in our lives is, is not to give us license to sin, but it ought to cause us to fear God. To desire to be obedient. To know His blessing and His favor and to please Him in our lives. And so Father, we pray that we might praise Your name for Your mercy. And Father, we pray that any among us who have not experienced that mercy might even this day do as that Pharisee does and cry out to You, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And be brought into a relationship with You even this day to the glory of our God. For these things we do ask in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take your Trinity hymn books.
Turn to 415. God be merciful to me on thy grace. I rest my plea. 415 in your Trinity hymn books. Let's stand together as we sing.
praise God for his mercy. We'll be having lunch together, and then the afternoon service is about 1.45. The afternoon service will be around the Lord's table. So prepare your hearts to meet with him in that way. Thank you.